I do, I do always love having the kids up here. It is, <laughs> it's always a roll of the dice, what's going to happen, but, um, but it, is, it is fun. It is, it is fun. I love having our kids be a part of our, um, of our time of teaching. So for, for those of us who were raised in, in, in a church setting, in a, in a spiritual or religious home, um, the idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not necessarily something new to us. Uh, for those of you that maybe weren't raised in, in uh, coming to church or being a part of some sort of religious home, you, you may not be as familiar with this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And, and yet the reality is I think both struggle with it. If you've never heard of it, then it doesn't really make a lot of sense to you. And even if you have, it's still a mystery to us. And, um, and so this morning, I'm going to spend just a few minutes looking at the mystery of this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. And what does it take to get there? And who really is the greatest? Because I think it's a question that the disciples really wrestled with a lot numerous times throughout uh, the Gospels, it is recorded that they're asking Jesus about it. They're questioning it. They're wondering about it. As we, t- as we mentioned a few minutes ago, they're arguing with one another about it. And the reality is Jesus reveals some of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven uh, throughout the Gospels. One of the secrets he revealed was the fact that it's not actually a place. It's not something that you touch. It's not a place you build a home. It's, it's not a place you go to. The kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, uh, lives and exists within us. Those who are believers of God, those who call themselves disciples of Christ, those of us that experience the will of God living itself out, there lives the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And yet the disciples continued to wrestle with this. They They wanted to know more. They wanted to figure it out. They wanted to understand it. And I love how Jesus responds when they asked him in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, the disciples came to him and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus? Who is it? And Jesus, in that way that only Jesus can. I just imagine kind of smile and just said, you got to change. you got to become like a child. And I can't imagine the, the, the look on their face, this sort of disbelief of like, what? A child, as they see some little kid throw a rock at one another and they run off. You know, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense to us, but here, here's the thing. Jesus, as one of these kids so beautifully said and stole from my message, Jesus loved children. And it wasn't, this, it wasn't this sort of fleeting kind of flippant thought about, hey, kids are good. We should love them and care for them. I mean, Jesus valued them greatly. And he used them as examples, as teaching examples. And one of the greatest questions mankind wrestles with, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there is, there, as, you, as you saw and as you witnessed here, There is some really fun stuff about kids that makes them so special to Jesus. One of the things I think it is, is their uniqueness. See, one of the things I think we lose as we get older and we become adults, the world kind of pushes us around and and, and robs us of some some parts and pieces of us. And uh, we start all kind of looking and acting and talking the same and birds of a feather flock together kind of thing that... that, um, There is truth to that. And the reality is kids, when they are born, when the image of God is placed within them and and they are here as creation, there is a uniqueness to them that is extremely special. 
that the world hasn't had a chance to rob yet. And I think Jesus picked up on that because he, he, loved, he loved to be and to laugh and experience kids in, in, in uh, the fun way they see life and experience the world around them. And that happened in Miss Gwen's class. Miss Gwen was a fourth grade uh, Sunday school teacher and had taught fourth grade for years and years. And um, a, a new little boy walked in her classroom and her, his parents left. And before she had a chance to meet them, he, uh, they walked off. And so she said, well, hello, uh, my name's Miss Gwen. And, and what's your name? And he said, my name's Brian. And he's four years old. And, uh, and Brian said, and she said, uh, well, Brian, what's your last name? And, uh, and he just looked at her and didn't say anything. And she said, okay. So they got him a name tag, and she set him down there. And, and she said, I, I need to find out who this little boy is. She said, well, Brian, what's your daddy's name? And he paused for a minute and said, daddy? And so she said, okay, well, that didn't work. She said, well, what's your mommy's name? What, what, is, what is the name that you call your mommy? And mommy? And she said, okay, this is not working very well. So um, what can we do? How can I fix? She said, I got an idea. So she walked over to Brian, kind of pulled him aside and said, Brian, what does your daddy call your mommy at home? And Brian paused for a minute and got a big, big grin on his face and kind of lowered his chin and said, hey, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this thing about kids. They just, they're, they're, they're fun and they're engaging and they're unique and they're themselves and they don't hesitate to say what's on their mind sometimes and that's terrifying. Um, or the five-year-old little boy who was going to the doctor and, and it was a checkup and so he, he walked in with his mom, sat there and the doctor said, okay, well let me look in your ears. And so he, he looked in the little boy's ears and he said, I think that I see Batman in your ears. And the boy kind of laughed and said, no, that's not Batman. And, and, uh, and so the doctor went on and said, let me look up your nose. He looked at his nose and said, I think that I see Spider-Man in your nose. And the boy kind of laughed and said no. And, and then the doctor got out his stethoscope and said, well, I need to listen to your heart for a minute. And so he, uh, he pulled it out and, and uh, set it on the little boy's chest and said, I think, I think that I hear Spider-Man climbing around on your heart. And the boy stood up and said, no, that is Jesus in my heart. And the mom kind of smiled and, and, uh, and kind of with some pride and said, yeah. The doctor smiled and the boy said, Spider-Man's here on my underwear. <laughs> and so you just, you never know, you never know what a, what a child is going to say or what they're going to do. But Jesus, Jesus had this thing. He loved kids. He loved them. And I think he valued them greatly, which is why, why he answered the question and used them as an example. And we're going to get into what that looks like to actually be that child that Jesus talks about in, in just a few minutes. But as you heard me mention a, a few minutes ago in, um, in, in the Lord's Supper talk, there is, there is something about the humility of a child. It's undeniable. There is a great, great humility. And I think, I think that's what Jesus actually grabs a hold of more than anything else, more than all the other traits and qualities of a child. I think he really gravitated towards the humility, this, this humble, this is what I am, sense with a child. And in fact, I think there's two very important things that, that, are, that uh, need to be recognized in regard to the kingdom of heaven, and that is this, the necessity of humility to enter into the kingdom of God. You must possess that. And the other is the necessity of humility to grow within the kingdom of God. You cannot, and I think Jesus makes this very clear, you cannot 
experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. Without a humility, the humility of a child. So grab a hold of that word and, and, and stick with it. In order for us to understand fully Matthew 18, let's take a, let's take a moment and just get a, get a picture of what was going on. Uh, Mark also records this, this scene in Mark 9, verse 33. It says, uh, they came to Capernaum. They had been on the road traveling. Jesus and the disciples had been on the road traveling on the way back into uh, Capernaum. And he asked them, what are you guys arguing about? You see, Jesus had heard them on the, on the way uh, on the road as they were walking, arguing about something. And, um, and we're, we're told here that Jesus knows all thoughts. So Jesus knew what was going on. In fact, it continues to amaze me that the disciples constantly felt like they could kind of slide one past Jesus, you know. Maybe he would forget. Um, you know, he's God on earth, and they're not going to forget. He, he, he will always know and always remember. But yet they, uh, they say, and it says in, in, in the next verse, it says they, 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 they were quiet, because they didn't really want to answer Jesus. Because when they thought about it, they realized we had no business arguing about who was the greatest. That's what they were arguing about. Who should be the greatest? Who is the greatest? What does it take to be the greatest? I mean, they're having this debate, and when they recognize the fact they have this debate, and Jesus knew they were having this debate, they were extremely embarrassed by it. And they, so they, they tried to be quiet about it. And so here's the scene. Jesus, Jesus and the disciples walk into the house, in Capernaum, probably the house of Peter and Andrew, and they're sitting there, and they all kind of get settled in, and, and I, imagine, I imagine there's sort of this, this still moment, and uh, maybe there's some wind blowing in from, from one of the windows that's open, and uh, maybe there's a little smell of some fresh bread that's, that's cooking, and the disciples are kind of getting their seat situated. And I think over in the other room, there may be some kids that are kind of quietly playing, trying to kind of stay out of the men's way. And, uh, and Jesus said, now tell me again, what, what were you guys arguing about back there? I really want to know. And there's just this quiet. And finally, Matthew, whether it was, whether it was courage or fear or whatever... He asked the question in Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus, in that way that only Jesus can, I imagine he kind of looked over into the other room, kind of made eye contact with one of the kids, and smiled at him and said, Hey, come here for just a second. And Jesus called a little child over and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Underline those words. That is emphatic. That is emphasis. That is important, what Jesus is about to say. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Church, this isn't just some little cute moment with Jesus and a child. With great emphasis and great importance and great value, Jesus says, this is how you get to the kingdom of heaven. To become like this child. 
And so what, it is, what is it about these kids? What is it about children that God and Jesus saw that was so valuable to them that they held that up as the poster for being a part of the kingdom of heaven? Here's my thought. There's three things. Three things. The humility that we just talked about. Kids have this unbelievable humility. You see, here's the reality of it. In the, in the, in the Jewish faith and in their, in their heritage and their tradition and their communities in the first centuries, they, they, they loved kids. They valued kids. But, but make no mistake about it, kids were the absolute lowest on the totem pole, okay? You didn't become something until you aged, until you grew older, until you grew wiser, until you gained more experience. But you were lowly as a child, Without rights and without power, children were low and more than just statue. They had no voice in their homes, the city, the nation. Their primary duty was to respect and obey parents and elders. Humility. The second is trust. Through their humility, children have an unbelievable trust of people that are responsible for them. And until that trust is broken, a child will greatly trust the one who is to care for them a son and daughter to a father and mother. Trust. And the third is dependence. Children are utterly dependent upon those who are responsible for them, for caring for them, for providing for them. They, are, they recognize their inability to care for themselves. Humility, trust, and dependence. I think those are the three qualities that Jesus grabs a hold of that God sees as valuable and essential qualities in someone who's going to get to the kingdom of heaven, much less be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But there's something here I think is important. We, we, we can't overlook the fact that Jesus said, you got to change, convert. Okay, in, in, the original, in the original language, it is an absolute flipping around, 180, going the opposite direction. Making a U-turn and heading, heading north from south and east to west. And so what Jesus is saying is, you don't need to just kind of pick up from where you are and start trying to pick up some of these qualities of a child. What he said is, you've got to stop being the way you are and be something different. And he's talking to some of his most devout believers much less people who have never known him. We must change and become like children. We cannot keep going in the direction of our choosing and expect to meet God at the end of our journey in the kingdom of heaven. We must change. We must heed the words. We must hear them. We must see them. We must understand the importance of becoming like a child to understand fully the kingdom of heaven. I love what a journalist wrote uh, a number of years ago in a, in a newspaper in a Kansas City Times. He was writing a little editorial and he wrote this. Most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of graduate school. But it was actually in a sandbox at nursery school. 
These are the things I learned, he said. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. And when you get out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. I think that's a little bit of what Jesus was talking about. You know, Jesus could have said, you need to, you need to aspire to be the greatest rabbi. You need to obtain the highest level of education and understanding and knowledge the, the world can provide. And education and knowledge are all very important pieces. And understanding God's word is an extremely important thing. But, but guys, that's not what he said. His answer was, become like this child. Understand the importance of the humility of a child. The trust within a child. And the dependence that a child has. Because see, a child understands that someone has to care for them, that someone has to provide for them, that they have to trust the person that's holding their hand crossing the street, that they recognize the fact that they can't protect themselves, someone else has to protect them. A child gets all that, and as we get older, we start depending more upon ourselves, trusting more uh, in ourselves, and becoming less and less humble. And the reality is, we're growing away from the kingdom of heaven, not towards it, because ourselves are becoming in between where we are and where the kingdom of heaven is. Become like a child. One of the things that we used to do uh, when my kids were younger, um, we'd sit around the table and we would ask both Blake and Chandler to, to pray. Chandler was probably about three or four. Blake was about five or six. And then at nighttime, Kristen and I would take turns. We'd swap in and out. And saying prayers with, uh, with them. And when Chandler got to be about three, I noticed that uh, whenever she would pray, she would always pray with her eyes open. And sitting around the dinner table, she would thank God for hot dogs and ranch dressing and for chips and for fruit and for tables and for chairs and for TVs and anything that was in her line of sight. And at bedtime, she would thank God for pillows and pictures and dolls and blankets and door frames and anything that she could, she could see. And Blake would sometimes kind of laugh, I can remember. And, uh, and at one point, I, I told Chris, and I said, I need to talk to her. Because I'm afraid she's kind of not taking this prayer thing seriously. I'm afraid she's just kind of being, being goofy and, and silly. And, and I just I want to talk to her about the importance of taking this conversation with God seriously. She needs to close her eyes. And she needs to, to talk with respect and be thankful for things that, that uh, she really, really means it. And, and I just, I just I'm not, I'm not, I don't like what she's doing here. And so one night, I sat down with Chandler, and, and I, said, uh, I said, hey, I said, I want, to, I want you to think about something. I said, I want you to think about closing your eyes so that you can focus, so that you can really understand how important this is. It's important talking to God. And she said, I know. And I said, so I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to, I want you to kind of do it this way. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, she just looked up at me and she said, but dad, if I close my eyes, how am I going to see what to be thankful for?
It's a good question. I think our children are an amazing gift and blessing. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus chose them to model as an example of what it takes and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. There's a purity, a simplicity, a humility, a love, an energy, an excitement within children that is the image of God coming out in them. And as grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and aunts and uncles, I pray that... uh, I pray that we'll not overlook that. We will recognize the fact that Jesus valued it enough to hold it up and say, this is what I want you all to be, to be like this child. And when we get there, there the greatest of the heaven will be. The kingdom of heaven to become like a child. Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, I confess to you that, that, uh, that I struggle with wanting to, to do too much on my own and um, to try to figure out too many things and to, to value the wrong things and, um, and to push back on things that I shouldn't. And God, I, I just... Uh, ask that you to forgive me for that. God, I pray that you will ignite in me that, uh, that childlike quality that's within each and every one of us to be truly at the core what you created us to be, to be your creation that, that trusts you, that is solely dependent upon you, and with great humility acknowledges the fact that you are all things and we are nothing without you. Just like our kids. God, I pray that we'll have a spirit that Jesus talked about of being like a child. And may that spirit of, of, uh, of childhood move within each of us and move within your church and, and move within your kingdom here in this place. And, and may, we, may we do great, great things, not because of who we are, not because of how good we can do something, but because of who you are and how great you are, God. Thank you for this simple but powerful reminder from Jesus. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior we pray. Amen. Before we before we uh, close our time in prayer, I want to pass along.